Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our discussion of Chapter 1. We're finishing off Section uh, 3, 1-3, and also maybe starting 1-4 here today. Um, it's interesting, as I was looking at the rest of Chapter 1, it really is just focusing on truth versus illusion. And it's almost like the course in this first chapter is just really starting or trying very hard to get very clear to us that there's just two worlds. There's a world of truth and there's a world of illusion. And it's kind of coming up over and over again. So it's interesting as I prepared section four, I was like, well, these are some of the same things we're talking about in section three. So you'll see those themes start to um, repeat, as we have seen, even from the 50 principles, we've seen those uh, repeat as well, too. Um, hello, Miss Holly. Welcome to the call. Is that Holly? No. Hey there, Marquia here. Oh, Marquia, hello. I saw Marilyn and I just assumed it was Holly. Oh, I'm so glad you're here live. Welcome. <laughs> Hi there. Hello. All right, so one of the things that I um, intend to do at the beginning of these calls, and sometimes I remember and sometimes I don't, so hopefully I'll start getting better about this, is just starting our calls up out with an opening preparation. So this is an opening preparation from Pathways of Light, um, which is the bangers I did when I studied. Course in Miracles, and I, I just really love this as a place of starting, of setting space before we start. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read each line of this opening preparation, and you all can just repeat silently to yourself after me so that we'll all be doing it um, together. So I'll read a line, I'll pause, you can repeat it, and then we'll go to the next one. I dedicate this time to healing my mind and awakening to my true nature. I surrender to the source of love within me and let it guide my way. As I do this mind healing work, I am willing to be mindful of my thoughts without judgment. I am willing to look at how I view my life circumstances. As helpful feedback that shows me where there is still a need to heal my mind. I am willing to take responsibility for letting go of limiting thoughts and beliefs. I am willing to let go of judgment about myself and others.
and see the innocence beyond the circumstances and events. I am willing to quiet my mind and ask Holy Spirit to take the lead. I am willing to let go of tension. I soften and imagine the Holy Spirit leading me into peace. My aware self leads me as I now focus on healing my mind. All right. So we are on Chapter 1, Section 3, Paragraph 5. We have so many folks on the phone. I will go ahead and just ask for volunteer. You know what I'll do is I'll just go straight down my list. So I've got Mary, Karen, Leslie, and Marquis in that order. So unless one of you is in a place where you can't read, um, Maybe we'll just take turns reading paragraphs. Is that okay with everyone, or is anyone kind of out someplace where we're not have the stuff in front of them? That's good with me. That's good with me. Yep, works hard for me. Awesome. Okay, so Mary, I'm going to start with you. So Chapter 1, Section 3, Atonement and Miracles, and then Paragraph Number 5, Error Cannot Really Threaten Truth. Error Cannot Really Threaten Truth which can always withstand withstand it. Only the error is actually vulnerable. You are free to establish your kingdom where you see fit, but the right choice is inevitable if you remember this. Spirit is in a state of grace forever. Your reality is only spirit, therefore you are in a state of grace forever. Moment undoes all the errors in this request in this respect, sorry. And this thus uproots the source of fear. Whenever you experience God's reassurances as threat, it is always because you are defending misplaced or misdirected loyalty. When you project this to others, you imprison them, but only to the extent to which you reinforce errors they have already made. This makes them vulnerable to the distortions of others, since their own perception of themselves is distorted. The miracle worker can only bless them, And this undoes their distortions and frees them from prison. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, so this the first sentence over here, error cannot really threaten truth. Again, this big theme throughout this whole first chapter is there is something called truth with a capital T. And it's the same Course in Miracles uses the analogy of light and dark. So light is an actual thing. It's actual waves. It's, uh, you know, actual energy, you can measure light, there's the speed of light, it it is an actual thing. Darkness is not a thing, it is just the absence of light. There's no measure for darkness, there's no way of saying there's, you know, X amount of darkness here, but there is a way of saying there's X amount of light here. So Course in Miracles is saying that, that there's truth and there's error, and what is true can have no opposite. So love is all-encompassing. What is all-encompassing, can, there can't be anything else. So at any point in time, truth is always there. If you choose not to see the truth, it doesn't make it disappear. It's not that it's not there. 
the same way as if you turn the light if you turn the lights off. It's not that there's no access to light, it's that you've chosen to just turn the light off and at any point you can turn the light on. So in this next couple of sections, Quartz and Miracles is really focusing on where you place your vision, where you place your sight. And it says only the error is actually vulnerable. So truth is not vulnerable. Truth is truth. Error is vulnerable because only you get to choose how much power you give the error. So when we say error is vulnerable, Part of the ego, it's it's protecting you from, well, I shouldn't say protecting you because it's not in a positive way, but what the ego thinks it's doing is protecting you by having you see in this place of darkness and having you see in this place of fear. It's saying, you're alone and therefore I need to protect you. How much you buy into that is up to you. So when you say, I'm not going to buy into that at all, your ego is vulnerable the error is vulnerable when you choose to see in truth. And that's why so much, of, so many of us resist it. I remember um, once, I think it was I probably hearing Jack Canfield talk, and I remember he said, you know, for some reason when people, when you hear nice things about yourself, and not so much that other people are saying it, but when you connect with something kind about yourself, something loving about yourself, it feels good on the inside because there's a part of you that knows that's true. And then when you connect, even if you're just talking to yourself, your own voice besides yourself, I always get that wrong. I'm not smart enough. Everybody else is smarter than I am. Everybody else is better than I am. It actually makes you feel bad. And the reason it makes you feel bad is because you're actually lying to yourself. And there is a part of you, your soul, the Course of Miracles would say, that knows that that part is out, out of integrity with truth. And when you believe that, it's you hurting yourself. So if Amina believes I'm not very smart, that's Amina hurting Amina. Because in truth, in the light, I am smart. In the light, I am with God. In the light, I am completely protected. So when I say, I'm not really good at that, or that never works out for me, or so-and-so is so much better at that than I am, what I'm really saying is so-and-so has so much more light than I do without realizing I can just turn up the dial, amp amp it up a bit, and have the exact same amount of light. It's kind of silly at some, to some degree, because we all have access, every single one of us, the worst amongst us, the people in the worst situations, the people with the least, have the exact same access as the people with the most. And it's how much we're willing to access that, where we're willing to put our mind. And that's why we're doing the workbook, because we're training our mind to see in the light. Every time we want to go dark, every time we want to turn the lights out and talk about how terrible life is and how we can't go through another moment of that, we're training our mind to go, you know, I'm just doing this to myself. I could just turn the light switch on. So that's what this first part's saying. And then we talk about free will. So we're, you're allowed to stay in the dark. And you want to go and sit in the dark? Go sit in the dark. Of course, Merkel says no judgment about that. What it will say is that you're causing your own pain. And if you want to sit and cause your own pain, that's your choice. Have you ever... <laughs> You ever had a situation like at a party or something where someone gets mad at you or gets mad at someone else because they're sure that they've snubbed them or said something wrong or whatever, and then they want to go pout and they're not going to enjoy the party, and you're like, that's not even what they meant. Like, that's not what's actually going on here. Don't make a big deal out. Don't ruin the entire evening because of this. And the person just wants to ruin their own evening because of this. And at some point, you're just like, okay, you know what? I want to enjoy myself at this party. I want to have a good time. If you want to go sit here and just, you know, be convinced that everybody hates you, there's not much I can do about it. Just go do that. It has the same kind of concept here. Like, 
I'm not going to force you to have a good time. I'm not going to force you to see that no one meant any disrespect. I'm not going to force you to see that that comment was not made in a mean, unkind, evil intention. If you want to sit there in the dark, at some point I have to just say, you know, that's your choice. It's your choice to go sit there in the dark. But I'm going to go and be in the light and I'm going to go have fun. So that's where we get to yet another juicy nugget. This is one three is the one that had the other juicy nugget about remembering that um, we are wholly lovable and holy. You are the work of God and his work is wholly lovable and wholly loving. That was a great line from here. And here's another one. Spirit is in a state of grace forever. Your reality is only spirit. Therefore, you are in a state of grace forever. So that is what is true. We are in that state of grace. When we can't see it, it's just because our mind has gotten into the way. The places where we're hurt are getting into our way. Course in Miracles at the very beginning in the intro says, it's not here to teach you about love. It's here to remove your blocks to love. So any place you're not seeing you're in a state of grace is where you have a block to being in that state of grace. You have a block to being in love. And that's not a place to judge yourself. That's a place to amp up the love. It's a place to turn the light up a little brighter. So atonement, which is, again, forgiveness. Forgiveness undoes all errors, and it uproots the source of fear. So if you walk around, the think about forgiveness is to truly see every single person as innocent. So if you walk around not thinking anyone is guilty, you yourself will not think you yourself are guilty of anything. So it's only because we see guilt in ourselves that we see guilt in others. And so the more that we stop seeing guilt in others, the less we're going to see guilt in ourselves, and therefore we get out of that state of fear. And in the next section, it's going to tell you that really the escape from this is just to realize that you're completely innocent. If you realize, if you could really understand that you are 100% innocent at all times, then you would see everybody around you as 100% innocent at all times. And then we, as an entire species, would be raised to another level of evolution. So that's what we're training our mind to do. Now it goes on to see, when you experience God's reassurances as a threat, it's always because you're defending misplaced or misdirected loyalty. So when you join in the error, when you join in the error about yourself or somebody else, and the error might be, I always get this wrong. And this is another one that as I was reading this, I was thinking about this. Have you ever tried to convince somebody that they look nice in an outfit and they'll just start arguing with you about how they really don't? And you're like, no, I mean, you know, they'll be, oh, this doesn't fit and this was this and, you know, this is old or this, my, the zippers, or whatever. You know, they start just going on and you're like, yeah, but, okay, despite all that, you still look really nice. And they're like, I really don't. And if they're so convinced and they're so joined in that error, that even if you speak truth to them, it's an attack. Your compliment becomes an attack. They just are not willing to see God's truth or see the truth in that moment. So whenever you see something kind, something loving as an attack, it's because you are so convinced, your ego is so joined with the error in that moment that anybody trying to talk you out of that error is wrong. They're the ones who are wrong. And then when you do this to other people, when you project this on other people, you try to imprison other people. Now, of course, in miracles will say to you that you can't really do anything to anybody else. Kind of say you can't do it to anyone else without their permission. 
So, you know, I can't try to imprison, Mary, I can't try to imprison you unless you also allow me to imprison you. So when I say something unkind to you, only if you have that own doubt, your own self-doubt about that, can that be made true for you. Just the fact that I say it is not good enough. Just the fact that I'm trying to project my guilt onto you is not good enough. But if there's a seed of doubt within you, when I try to project that guilt, wham, it's like putting miracle grow on that seed of doubt, and now we're both in this state of prison together. And Jack uses this example. If somebody walked up to you and said, I can't stand your green hair, would you be offended? And everyone goes, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be offended. And he said, why not? And people say, because I know I don't have green hair. So I can't imprison somebody by, you know, telling them they have green hair, even if I say it meanly to them. If I walk up and I say, Karen, I hate that green hair of yours. It's funny. It, it's hilarious because you know you don't have green hair. But if I say something in a place that you have doubt, like, you know, you're not very loving as a human being. And you think, oh, my gosh, how do you know what I did earlier this morning? I did choose somebody out, and now they know, and blah, blah, blah. Then we then. Only in that way can I imprison you if I hit on something that you already believe about yourself. So that's what this is saying over here. And if I say to you, I don't think you're very loving, what I'm really saying, because it's all projection, what I'm really saying is, Karen, I don't think I'm very loving. Can you please see me as loving? Because right in this moment, I am so lost. I can't see myself as loving. But what I'm saying is, Karen, you're not loving. You're this, you're that. So every time somebody attacks you, it's a call for love because they're telling you exactly where they're lost. Whatever they're accusing you of is where they themselves are lost. And what they're really saying is, I, I feel so not good about myself. Can you feel good about me so that I don't feel lost in this darkness all by myself? So then in the last line of this, the miracle worker can only bless them. And this undoes their distortion and frees them from their own prison. So when somebody says, I don't think you're very loving, and you say, you know, I think you're very loving, and I'm only going to see you as loving, and I'm going to treat you like you're loving, and I'm going to act like you're the most loving person I know, that seeing the other person as innocent is what frees them from their own prison. Questions, thoughts, comments on Section 5. So I'm gonna, I don't have any questions on it. You did a great job explaining it. Thank you. Um, but I wanted to let you know, it looks like Lorna joined. Um, oh, thank you. Hi, Lorna. Lorna on tap. Yeah. We have a party tonight. I love it. Thanks for letting me know, Mary. All right. Section six. Ms. Karen? Okay. You respond to what you perceive, and as you perceive, so shall you behave. The golden rule asks you to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This means that the perception of both must be accurate. The golden rule is the rule for appropriate behavior. You cannot behave appropriately unless you perceive correctly. Since you and your neighbor are equal members of one family, as you perceive both, so you will do to both. You should look out from the perspective 
from the perception of your own holiness to the holiness of others. So this over here is basically just going a little deeper into some of the concepts we already talked about in the earlier section, which is you treat others the way that you want to be treated. And so we're all in this illusion of how we treat one another because we're not fully seeing. We're not seeing through the eyes of love. We're not seeing the way God loves or the way God sees. We're not seeing truth with a capital T. So if you really want to apply the golden rule, the first thing you have to do, and this was earlier in this section, where this really in this section is saying the most important thing you can do is see yourself as innocent. The most important thing you can do is see yourself as wholly lovable and wholly loving. Because the minute you see yourself as that, the minute you correct your own perception of yourself, you then automatically will start seeing everybody around you as that. So Goldman Rule says before you start trying to treat people the way you want to be treated and start applying this golden rule, make sure you're wearing the right pair of glasses. Make sure you're seeing through the eyes of love. Make sure that you see each other as completely holy, as a perfect child of God, exactly as they are. And then, however you treat them will be in alignment with how you want to be treated, which will be in alignment with how God treats you, which everything will be in alignment because you'll be connected to the truth of what is. So that's really the point of this section. Questions or thoughts on that one? All right. Number Seven, it's Leslie. Okay. Um, miracles arise from a mind that is ready for them. By being united, this mind goes out to everyone, even without the awareness of the miracle worker himself. The impersonal nature of miracles is because the atonement itself is one, uniting all creations with their creator. As an expression of what you truly are, the miracle places the mind in a state of grace. The mind then naturally welcomes the host within and the stranger without. When you bring in the stranger, he becomes your brother. Okay, so in this one, it says miracles arise from a mind that is ready for them. So this is going back to one of the principles in the first section, which is we are not the ones who, we don't sit and plan which miracle we're going to do for whom and how. Um, the miracles are done for the right person at the right time when they're ready for them. I actually, and this is my own personal interpretation of this as well, I also think that miracles are happening all the time. So I've had miracles happen to me and had no clue that that was a miracle. And then months later or years later go, oh, my gosh, this is the third or fourth time I've been having this experience, and this miracle has been trying to come through time and time again, and I kind of saw it, but I didn't get it. I wasn't really ready for it. So in my viewpoint, miracles are constantly happening. You are constantly able to experience a miracle. There's no lack of miracles happening in your life. Every second, you're experiencing a miracle. I don't know if you all have ever done this, but I've <laughs> sat in conversations before. And I do this a lot in work meetings. I'll sit there and the conversation will be so boring or just so like, ridiculous like I'll be talking about x and somebody will take one word I said and like go on this long tangent about why 
And every once in a while, I just sit there and I go, I wonder why I'm having this life experience right now. I wonder what's in this experience for me. Because everything serves, everything's for my greatest good. Like, I wonder what is, is it for me to learn patience? Because I'm so annoyed because we're not talking about things. You know, I'm looking at the clock and we only have X amount of time left. We're not talking about things I need to talk about. You know, so is this happening to me so I can practice patience? Is this, is, is, and then sometimes I'll sit there and I'll be like, this person's telling me the most random story about their trip to the grocery store. Like, is there a message in this for me? And it's kind of fun for me to do that, and it's it's more of just a, a way of easing the whole, like, why the heck am I sitting here listening to this? Maybe there's a, a deeper, maybe God is communicating to me through this person. makes me feel better. But in that same kind of light over here, it's like I really think miracles are always happening and always available to us, but sometimes we're just not ready to hear them or we're not ready to take them in. And that's okay because they'll just keep coming back around until we are ready for them. And then once we see the miracle, once you experience that miracle, a part of your life, it's like once you, can, once you learn to see something one way, you can't unsee it. You all remember those um, funky 3D posters that were really popular, I would say in the 90s. Like they're just like a bunch of dots and stuff, but if you stare at them and like kind of, for me, I had to like have my eyes go cross-eyed a little bit, and then all of a sudden you could see like the 3D yeah, image come out I of it. Yeah, I do. I remember those. Yeah, you remember those? Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. that is, I do. That's kind of what I think this is. This is like it's like you know, once you have the miracle, like once you see that that person that you were sure was out to get you wasn't even thinking about you, but was just concerned because their mom was sick, and they made all these comments that you thought were about you, but would really have something to do with their caretaker at home I've actually had times where I really think someone's talking about me and then like later on in the conversation I found out that it was they were talking about someone else I had this happen on Twitter challenge when I went on one of the Facebook lives and talked about a goal one of the things I said was you know if you have a goal to make seven thousand dollars and there were like four or five people in Joy Challenge this year that they chose that number seven thousand and someone wrote me an email afterwards and said, hey, I think you were talking about me. And I went back and I looked at my goal and I'm trying to figure out where I was at Claire and I'm thinking I wasn't Claire here. And it wasn't that person that I was talking about. And in fact, I wasn't even talking about anybody. I just, for whatever reason, in that moment in time, the number 7,000 came to my mind and I used that as an example. And I actually had to go like look up the spreadsheet and look up her goal. And I was like, actually, your goal is perfectly, like, I wasn't talking about you but in that moment like that's what she you know she was obviously was wondering if her goal was good enough or whatever the case may be and was wondering about that so this is what um this whole section is talking about is when you see the miracle once that has been seen you can't unsee it once you have the atonement the correction once you have that you've been united in that moment you're united with god in that moment you see at a whole different level and you can't go back to unseeing at that level. You, a part of you knows that, and as you do, you raise everyone up with you. And so this next part I had to look up because I was like the host and the stranger and some of this terminology. And so this next part is put your mind in a state of grace. So when your mind is open and is in that state of love and is in that state of grace, you literally see everything differently. You remember to invite Holy Spirit in. You remember to let God go first in every action you take. 
And it's not that you're unwilling to do that at other times, but when you're so busy being in, when you're so busy flailing around in the darkness, it doesn't occur to you to turn the light on. But the minute you turn the light on, it's like, oh, well, now that the light's on, you lead the way and tell me where to go. You tell me where the thing is that I need to get to. When you're in the darkness, you're so panicked, you're so like, I can't even think straight, blah, blah, blah. You're not even open to allowing the miracle in. You're not even open to allowing your support in. So when you are in that, when your mind is, is connected with God, when you're in that state of grace, then you naturally welcome in the miracle. You naturally welcome in the guidance. You naturally welcome in Holy Spirit. And the way that you do this is by welcoming all that in, you naturally welcome in your brother as completely innocent. The stranger goes from being a stranger to your brother because you see that this person is just as innocent as you are. No questions about seven. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a question. I do have a comment, however. Yes, the story, ma'am. The, the story about or the example you gave about being at work and someone's talking and, you know, they're going on these tangents and you're sitting there and you start thinking, is there a message here for me? Is this a miracle for me? I can totally relate to that situation. I think I would become obsessed, obsessive, though. If I started thinking yeah. every 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 time that happened, is this, is I don't recommend it. Time? Yeah, I think I drive myself crazy. How do you not go over the line? I agree. I agree. Yes, yes. I go to a lot of boring meetings. So yeah, you and me both. I could just see it. I mean, I was in a meeting today, and as, when you said it, it brought me right to that meeting and that person. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I hope there's not a miracle in there with that person. <laughs> was that a deep encoded message and I just didn't know how to decode it? I know. <laughs> Man, you know, I have this obsessive personality already, Amina. <laughs> yes, no, Mary, do not add this to your obsessive personality. What I will say, though, is what I tell all of my, um, anytime people coach with me, and they, you know, usually by the time people come are coming to coach with me, like, things are not so fantabulous in their life. They're like, you don't even know. This happened and then that happened and then this happened and then on top of all of that, this happened. And I always tell them the same thing. I'm like, when that many things are going wrong at the exact same time in your life, stop doing anything because something else is trying to get through. Like you are, you know, someone else is trying to take control of the car and drive it in a completely different direction than the direction (laughs) you're trying to go in. And so sometimes rather than every single meeting and every single word, I would just use this a lot when, like, have you been in those situations, Mary, where it's, like, the entire situation just is mind-boggling. It does not make any sense. That's where I'm like, okay, something else is going on here. I'm just going to let go of the wheel, see what happens. Yeah. So that hopefully will box it to a more manageable place for us OCD types, I'm with you on that. So <laughs> rather than every word. <laughs> Buddy. All right. Marquia. Uh, what are we? Eight. That the miracle may have effects on your brothers that you may not recognize is not your concern. The miracle will also bless you. 
Miracles you are not asked to perform have not lost their value. They are still expressions of your own state of grace. But the action aspect of the miracle should be controlled by me because of my complete awareness of the whole plan. The impersonal nature of miracle-mindedness ensures your grace, but only I am in a position to know where they can be bestowed. Thank you. Okay, so uh, these are, again, some of the principles from section one of the same chapter. Nothing is lost in a miracle. So you may never know the miracle you were in somebody else's life, just like there's people who are miracles in your life, total strangers off the street, and they'll never know that they were the miracle worker for you that day. That's okay. That doesn't change the effectiveness of the miracle. And know that even though, you know, if um, Lorna if Lorna was my miracle today and then I never got a chance to tell Lorna that or I didn't get it, you know, Lorna was a stranger on the street and I never got to talk to her again. And I never got to say, wow, Lorna, that conversation, that, that thing you said to me, that was a miracle I needed and it changed my life or whatever. Lorna is still blessed by that miracle even though she'll never know that it was my miracle. She'll never know the impact it had on me, et cetera. doesn't matter. A miracle blesses both the sender as well as the receiver. So that's the first thing that is over here. Miracles you're not asked to perform have not lost their value. So there's a big thing in the Course of Miracles about not trying to perform a miracle, to just be the miracle but not say, oh, you know what, I'm going to go and try to help this person have a change of perception and to try to force a miracle. Um, and Jesus says that the miracle should be controlled by him because he has a complete awareness of the whole plan. And that's why miracles need to be impersonal. But if you do go out and attempt to try to do a miracle for somebody else, the good impact of that is not lost because you tried to do it. So even though that's not the path of a course of miracles, that's not what we're saying. We want to go over there and say, I know my neighbor is struggling with X, Y, Z, and I'm going to go do this so I can be the miracle in their life. You can go and do that out of a place of kindness. But if you think, <laughs> sorry, this totally made me think of conversations I've had with Mike, where I'm like, maybe if I do this, he'll see this like differently. Maybe like I can help him see this point of view if I just did this action right here. And it, it rarely works, but even if it does work, know that you still get the credit for the miracle, the other person gets the credit for the miracle, but that that isn't the way that A Course in Miracles is not about us going out there and trying to um, show people the way by using miracles. Okay, that's pretty much it for eight. So for nine, we'll go, any questions on that before we move on to nine? All right. We'll move back to Miss Mary. Okay. Um, miracles are selective only in the sense that they are directed towards those who can use them for themselves. Since this makes it inevitable that they will extend them to others, a strong chain of atonement is welded. However, this selectivity takes no account of the magnitude of the miracle itself because the concept of size exists on a plane that is itself unreal. Since the miracle aims at restoring the awareness of reality, it would not be useful if it were bound by laws that govern the error it aims to correct. Okay, so the, what it's saying over here is 
you know, there's no order of difficulty in miracles. It's the very first thing, very first principle in the Course of Miracles. And then this is what they're trying to tell you over there, is miracles are selective only in terms of how they're directed. Otherwise, they're not really selective. Miracles are just, you're going about your business, I'm going about my business, I'm a miracle for you, you're a miracle for the next person. It's, 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 we're all constantly being used to give miracles, and we're all constantly receiving miracles. So there is no, you know, wow, I got a big miracle today, I got a small miracle today. None of that really exists in the way that miracles work. Because miracles, remember, is turning on the light, right? So it's just I was in darkness, and now I got some light. Sometimes you only need a little bit of light to get through the next few steps of your journey, and putting on floodlights would be inappropriate. Other times you need floodlights, and that's just what's appropriate for the next step of your journey. One is not better than the other. One is not bigger than the other. It's just you get the appropriate miracle for what you're trying to do at the appropriate time. And all of the concept of big, small, major, minor, that's truth is just truth. There is no big, small, major, minor in truth. So to talk about miracles in that way makes no sense given that we're talking about God and reality with a capital R and truth with a capital T. Um, let me talk a little bit about line two. Since this makes it inevitable that they will extend them to others, a strong chain of atonement is welded. And so basically what this says is when I experience a miracle, I go, oh my gosh, I've just had a change in perception. Like I thought this person was guilty. Now I see that they're innocent. Wow. I go and I start treating that person differently. When I go and treat that person differently, I'm the miracle now in their life. They go and they, they have whatever their own personal miracle is that I may or may not ever know about. And then they go and start treating somebody else differently, which then causes a miracle in that person's life. And then causes a miracle in the next person's life. So when they talk about the chain of atonement, it's like once I choose to see truth with a capital T, once I choose to see reality, I impact tons, thousands, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people. So I remember when I was talking to Lori once and we were talking about the political climate in the United States and I was talking about somebody I was mad at, somebody I was having a disagreement about at, at a, at a, in a work way. And she said, what? She said, look, here, if you look at our country and you just look at the world, she said, look how much negativity there is out there. Look how much anger and tension and blaming and all of that there is out there. And she said, so right now, look at this personal situation you're in. Are you adding more peace to the overall world? Are you adding more anger and blame and frustration Mm -hmm. to the world? And I was like, I hardly think that my one tiny issue with this woman has anything to do with world peace. And she's like, but it really does. Because the more that you see her as guilty, the more that you see her as, as the more as you see her as separate from you, you're adding to the overall feeling of separation. And if you forgive and you say, you know, she acted it towards me in a way that I didn't like, and it's either my perceptions off, and she hit some place where I'm hurt, and it's a call for love for me, or it's a call for, for love for her. And I'm going to see her as innocent and a holy child of God. And I'm going to see myself as innocent and a holy child of God. And I'm not going to spend time churning and hating her and churning in whether or not she hates me and churning in how to get back at her and churning in the remark I'm going to, next time I'm on a call, I'm going to say this. 
And instead, I'm just going to say, you know, we're both in this together. You're in this and I'm in this, and I just want peace. And I'm going to add my little dime of peace into the overall atmosphere. And if I see her as innocent, if I can get to that, even if it's a step towards that, if I can get towards I want peace and I want to see you as innocent, I don't see you as innocent right now, but I want to. I am willing to see you as innocent. And I take a step in that direction, even a small step, and of course the miracles has impact. And that's even putting a small step towards forgiveness, a small step towards peace out there into the greater environment. I like that. I like that. And you know what? (laughs) Makes me think, Mary, of your comment earlier about work. It really made me think twice about when I just got annoyed at people. Like, I was like, well, no one knows it. I'm not saying anything. I'm not taking any action on it. But what am I putting into the overall environment right now? And I took that really seriously until I just said it. You know, I was like, okay, this is just too much. And then decided in 2018 my theme was just going to be peace. And just can I keep my peace more often than I lose my peace? And can I just keep my peace one more minute each day? Can I just, you know, can I take a situation that's normally upsetting and one situation and add more peace to it. Can I just build that peace muscle? I like that. That's To me, that's a really good example of a real-life application because we're not going to go through, well, I mean, I know I'm not. I should speak for myself. And, all, and always be able to do this instantly but I know even now, even though I'm just beginning this, I still, I do find myself saying, okay, I'm really open to the miracle. I'm open to the miracle. I'm open to the miracle. Sometimes I say it a lot. Right. But it helps. It helps. Yeah, it does. It, it helps does deal help. with, with those um, situations that come up when I have emotions that I know are not good for me. Yeah, so it does help. <laughs> I have, I've had some pretty funny conversations the other day this was actually I guess it was a while ago I was talking to God and I was like you know every time I try to see it through the eyes of love and try to see innocence in other people it's never really worked for me <laughs> like so <laughs> I'm like I just want you know I'm willing and I'm trying this but like you know they don't really come around and tell me like oh thank you so much I feel like you saved our relationship and all that stuff and then I just started laughing at, like, how our ego works. Like, this has never, seeing through the eyes of love has never worked for me. That's hilarious. <laughs> seeing innocence in others has never worked for me. <laughs> and even the concept of that worked for me. Like, okay, I'm going to see you as innocent because I want you to treat me a certain way. And that is not the teaching that we're going for here. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you as innocent because I want peace. I want peace, not because I want you to come around to my way of doing things, not because I think I'm going to win this argument if I just say, I'm going to see you as innocent so that we can do it my way, you know? So I'm like, it's never worked for me. It's never, seeing someone as innocent has not gotten me my agenda. It just cracked me up. I was like, the ego is amazing. <laughs> how it works to get us to see things differently. Does anybody ever get to the point where they can't be triggered by something? And then, you know, somebody says something that just sets you off, well, for me anyway. And um, and it's always political stuff, you know. And so I snap back 
two or three times before I finally catch myself and go, whoa, wait a minute, what are you doing? <laughs> but does anybody ever get to the point where somebody could say something that will really push a button and they, they can hold themselves back from saying anything? I, I mean, I think that's enlightenment, right? Like, Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe the Dalai Lama. I will tell you that there's people who can do it really well. I, I will tell you Lori can do it. Re- it. People have attacked her, and she has responded with such love. And, I, I mean, it, you know, sometimes it may take her a minute. She may have to take a breath, you know, to remind herself of that. But I'm just, I mean, I shared the email that she gave me to share with somebody else, and I was like, whoa, like that. You know, she was like, what's the most loving email you could, uh, I should share my before and after. She's like, how would you write the most loving email in this situation? And I sat and I wrote down what I thought was an extremely loving email, and I sent it to her. (laughs) She sent me the email back that I put in our subscription group, and I was like, oh, wow, this is actually really loving. Like. And it's not goo-goo over the top, like, and I just love you, and I just want us to be friends. I mean, it's truly, like, a, a different level. And I've also seen Jack do that. Jack Canfield, I've seen, you know, over, I mean, he's, his life has been dealing with people, right, all kinds of people. And there's people who will come to him and say, you know, he'll be teaching a concept or something, and they'll say, you don't know what this is like. You, I mean, you're so rich. You don't get it at all. You know, and he responds with such love and compassion. I mean, it's like, I mean, that person's purposefully aimed for him. And it's like, he doesn't even miss a beat. And he's like, he he just turns it right back around on them in a, like, loving, compassionate, like, what's going, he sees it as a call for love, you know. Oh, after this person is standing up in the middle of my lecture and yelling at me. He really needs my love right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've seen people do it much better. <laughs> people that I would love to be like, you know, who I, I right. would love to see. And I've seen but them I'm, but in those situations. Yeah. Well, I just, I mean, I, and I think that's wonderful. But I think, I still think it would be a lot easier to get to the place where you could do that when it's a stranger than if it's someone you love you know oh, yeah. I mean when it's when yeah. it's family or 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 close that's, friends or that's a that's very different when somebody that you love and trust attacks you and that's harder or even is. a co-worker that you're that you see every day that you're close to that you've worked with for years do you know what I'm saying yes well okay so Leslie <laughs> part of the reason that that's harder is because we have a belief that this person knows me better Oh. Right, right, right. I mean, that's, that's, that's why yeah, it's harder because right. you, you think, well, this person actually knows me, so they are speaking. You know, this is a stranger. This person doesn't know me at all, so they're not speaking right. from a place so of authority. Yeah, yeah. But this this person actually knows me, but they're speaking from a place of authority. But the truth is, I mean, really think about it. The truth is, even the people who love you the most, the things that they accuse you of, quote unquote, accuse you of, attack you with, are their own insecurities. We're all just projecting. Right, 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 and I do see that, and 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 I can see that after the fact. Right. <laughs> so no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> it, I'm not saying that it's not 
I'm not saying it's not harder, but I'm saying it's the exact same principle. It's the exact you know, same thing. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing. It's like, you know, so, like, if your, you know, if your husband is attacking you, it's a call for love based on their own insecurity. It's not anything about you. Right. You know, and if a total stranger is attacking you, it's a call for love based on their own. They're projecting on you. The stranger's projecting on you. Your kids are projecting on you. Your husband's projecting on you. Your, you know, best friend's projecting on you. You know, everyone's projecting on you. And it's just a call for love. It can tell you exactly where they're hurting. It's a call for love. The issue is that we just read this over here with, I think, in section, what was it, five or six? Six. Or no, seven. Atonement. Oh, which one is this? Just kidding. In section five, the whole distortions and free them from prison. When someone projects something on you and you yourself have a self-doubt in that area, it's a painful attack. Right. But when someone projects something on you and you're like, dude, that's your issue. That's not even my issue. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Then they can't imprison you with their projection. And I would... Right. I would argue that we bring the people into our lives for our greatest soul growth. So we bring the people mm-hmm. who the stuff they're going to project on you is really going to annoy the crap out of you. Because you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, thanks, God. We appreciate that. <laughs> Those are the people you attract into your life because they're, they're the people who are best for your greatest soul growth. I actually mm-hmm. agree with that. I think um, for me, people attacking me, I'm not there yet. There's no seeing them as someone crying out for love yet for me. I still react, but I'm quicker to notice it or or recognize it. But in other situations with people who push my buttons and stuff, not in an attacking way, but just in general push my buttons, I have found I've been able to totally change how I am with them and by sending them love or by by going through some of the exercises we've done around praying for them or, you know, seeing them with the, the, the innocence in them. I'm, I have been able to do that with several people at work who really pushed my buttons, and it makes a huge, huge difference. Yeah. Right, because um, some, on some level you realize it was never about you, but you didn't see that before. Right, or it was teaching me lessons that I needed to learn about my judgmental personality and my ego. Hmm. So, definitely. But the attacking okay. thing, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either. Don't feel bad. I'm not either. That's why we're studying this. <laughs> That's right. I can't tell you that email template. I cannot tell you how many people I've used it on. I, it, when, when did Lori, maybe Lori sent it to me and oh, God, January or February. I've used that thing so many times already. I'm just like, because the thing is, I feel attacked. And then I've gotten really good. I'll just do a little personal sharing, and then we'll, I can stop the recording and we can do some more sharing. So I realized <laughs> through part of this whole, you know, my spiritual journey is I realized, okay, well, attack is not real. This isn't real. All this stuff is not real. Okay, got it. So then people, you know, would, quote unquote attack me or I perceive being attacked and I was like, okay, this isn't real, so I'm just not gonna say anything. Oh, but my head was go like I was attacking back, I was 
you know, passive aggressive, all kinds of weird behaviors, right? But I wasn't, mm-hmm. I, on the surface, I was like, I'm just going to be loving, and I'm just, you know, I'm a Course in Miracles student now, and I've seen the light, and I, you know, all of that. And now this next part of my journey, and I'll share the book that I just ordered. I haven't read it yet, but I've just uh, just ordered it, and I love the title of it. The next part of my journey is, like, do I mean the things I say? Like, so when someone attacks me and I go, oh, it's okay, that's just a call for love. Do I mean that? Or am I just saying that to try to manipulate my own behavior in a moment? And so now it's even going a layer, which is a good starting point, right? A good starting yeah, point is to, yeah, it's a good starting point is to catch your knee jerk and be like, well, you think I'm stupid? I think you're stupid. Okay, so move past that. <laughs> Yay. I'm like, I'm not going to say I think you're stupid, but I just want you to know I think you're stupid. I think you're stupid. (laughs) I'm not listening to what you're saying because I actually think you're stupid too. So now I'm getting to this point where I'm like, if I really want peace, then I actually, when somebody calls me stupid, I actually have to say, oh, this isn't about me. This is truly a call for love. And then in that moment, ask Holy Spirit, of course, in miracles, ask God, ask for the miracle, ask for help. Because in that moment, it's not about how well I can handle the situation. It's about how quickly I can get the big guns into the situation. Right. It's not about me and my own, okay, I'm not going to say that they're stupid. And I'm going to try not to think that they're stupid either. But that's, that's just crazy making. Is, okay, this is a call for love. I have no clue what to do, but I can see it. I see it's a call for love. I see that. Okay, Holy Spirit, help me see this differently because I don't know what to do. I don't, should I say something? Should I say, I don't think you mean that I'm stupid? Are you hurting? Do you feel like you're not very smart? Is there something, like, you know, because if you do that without inviting Holy Spirit in, without asking for that guidance, without inviting God in, whatever words you want to use, without taking that, true connective pause, that's not going to actually solve anything. You know, if you say, well, I see you're calling me stupid and I'm thinking that maybe this is a projection or maybe you're not feeling very smart at the moment, the person is going to go off on you, right? (laughs) Who the hell do you think you are? You know, ball and get out of my face, whatever, right? Right. (laughs) But if you invite in that higher power in that moment, the higher power is just going to turn around and say, yeah, you know, what I would say, yeah, sometimes I do really stupid things, but that doesn't make me any less lovable. Bam, diffused, miracle mm-hmm. for that person, next. You feel great, they feel great, it's over. I would, yeah. have never thought to, I would have never thought to do that had I not asked for that help. That's good. That's good. See, that's good for me to have, to actually... Uh, it ha- you you help so much, Amina, because that really does help. Because now, when this situation, when I'm in this situation, I'll think about it and I'll do that. And okay, Holy Spirit, tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else take over. Which is then I don't yeah. know if you all have gotten a chance to read what I shared today. I was like uh, self thoughts on the plane today. And I was like, okay, I was looking at today's lesson. God goes with me everywhere I go. Okay, do I believe that? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Like, any doubt in my heart? No, zero doubt in my heart. I believe that. And I was like, well, then why do I worry? 
I was like, well, what? I mean, what? And I, I do this every once in a while. Like, what trauma have I had in my life that I'm so trying to protect myself from? And I'm like, I don't, I don't really have anything. It's not like I put my faith in God and then he, like, mega let me down. Like, the places where I feel so let down have turned out to be, like, the most beautiful turning points in my story. I can totally see that. So then I was like, why do I worry? And I just had this moment today where I was like, why do I waste time worrying about anything? I could just, like, let go of that control. We have such a desire to control. And that's what causes so much of our misery. Yeah. Remind me of the surrender experiment. You know, all of that kind of all ties together. Um, yeah, we forget that we're not alone. I really love this lesson for today because if we if we do, I mean, when I finally remember that I can get some help if I ask for it, what will come out of my mouth always surprises me. It's yeah. not even thought of. It just comes out. And it's amazing. Right, you get used. You become the miracle. Exactly. I've had that happen lots of times. It's just amazing. It is. It is. I agree with that. It does. When you ask, it's like, oh, forget, I can ask. I can always ask. I have a team waiting to help me. Just come on. And you don't really have to make a big deal out of it. It's just like, oh, this poor person, and just help me, you know. And then Mm -hmm. something will come out, and it will be just the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With everything, with everything. And I like some, uh, I think you said that, Amina, um, that, you know, we can ask for help with every teeny tiny thing. And, and I knew that. And, and, and you just forget in the moment to ask, right. ask, ask. Yeah. To stop, it's that pause, right? Right. That's why in right. spirituality, they always call it that pause. Like if you can just get that pause between your what you hear and your reaction to it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then then that's filter. everything. Filter, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's everything. If you can just take that second to be like, oh, I'm reacting like I'm being attacked, but I know I'm not, but I really don't know what else to do. I mean, you know, like you don't even have to know what to do, just having that moment. Cool. Um, okay, so this is the book I'm reading for just order that I'm exciting to, excited to read. Daring to Trust. Opening Ourselves to Real Love and Intimacy, How to Be an Adult in Relationships. Oh, 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 how to be an adult in a relationship. Okay. Oh, I was like, oh, this is an interesting concept. So, like, I could be an adult in the relationship. Wow. <laughs> and I think it's a problem. I'm guessing it's going to be some of the similar stuff that we, you know, What's on your side of the street? What's on somebody else's side of the street? Taking care of all that stuff. But I love the name. I'm like, this is so fun. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Are there any questions on this section? And I will stop the recording and then we can just chat about anything anybody wants to chat about. So is there any other thoughts on um, 1 3? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Another good call. Yay. Okay, let me stop the recording. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.